You're listening to the number one Oilers podcast, Handkerchief Dynasty. Two minutes for interference. I was thinking about Monday mornings and how they felt. I had to get up uh, today for this uh, this very important call. And I, I, it made me realize it's a little rainy here, just like a, a tiny bit rainy, a little bit cold, but still still a little nice. Um, Shocking, Vancouver, uh, huh? I know, I know. But it's like waking up in Monday morning is, is the exact same feeling I have when I wake up when I'm camping, you know? And I'm like, I'm in an, in an unfamiliar place, but I wake up and it's, it's fresh and it's beautiful, but it's also like I, I usually have only slept about 90 minutes. And you like my whole body is tingling from head to toe. I'm like happy but sad at the same time. It's a very Monday morning feeling. I don't know if you guys agree. <laughs> well, no, it is. I, I it do is. not have that feeling at all. My, my, <laughs> my mornings lately have not had any day association with them. They're all the same. Uh, mm. And to be honest with you, with the incomplete season, they all seem pointless at times. So it's true. I'm it's looking true. forward to some sort of structure back in my life. That's for sure. I'll tell you that. I'll, t- I'll tell you that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I'm sure all of our fans, uh, no doubt, can tell already, we have a very special guest on the Handkerchief Dynasty podcast. Episode 46. We're well into the midlife crisis episode numbers, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know him. You love him. You you think of him at all times. He is Jack Michaels, the play-by-play voice of your Edmonton Oilers, and uh, the first uh, first real guest we've had on the pod. So so welcome, Jack. Thank you. I appreciate it. It is one of the more creepy introductions I've been given. I won't mind telling you. Yeah, well, we have to have a USP, so like we've had some of our USPs are being creepy, um, like uh, just being a little bit weird, um, a little bit non-plused, a little disjointed, a little hyperbolic, off-putting, you know, wordy. Um, I don't want to say pretentious, but I mean, come on. (laughs) Who do these guys think they are? Uh, overly I am, verbose. I got you. Overly verbose. Well, it's my it's my fault because when I when I went for a walk down the lovely uh, Vancouver seawall with a close friend of mine and proposed the idea of the podcast at first on the same day, he told me I sounded like a secret professor based on the random stuff that I say. So when you have a when you have a nickname, the secret professor, you kind of have to be a dick, you know. So a lot of Vancouverites propose along the seawall, but you propose the idea of a podcast. That's true. I never thought about that. Yes. That's a really good point. So like, so rather than, rather than proposing and seeking to fulfill my life, my life's purpose with the love of a, of a woman, I, I chose to basically do the equivalent of like talking quietly in a room to like four other people. 
striking up a partnership of a different sort, I guess. Yeah, that's a good way to, to put it. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, I've been doing some research, listening to your uh, your recent uh, bits. I heard John Oilers now talking about how you felt there was no no legitimate contender for the Hart Trophy besides Leon Dreisaitl. Um I couldn't agree more. I wanted to ask you, if Leon doesn't get the Hart Trophy, uh, what should we do to punish the East, <laughs> the East Coast media writers who, who got who got it wrong? Like, I, I'm, I'm happy, like, putting them in the corner, maybe a dunce cap, something, like, more uh, you know, of their era, you know? Well, luckily, my second choice is, is also a guy who plays in the Western Conference, Nate McKinnon. I think anything outside of those two, uh, even for uh, the alleged bias of the Eastern Conference media, which... Which look, I, I do think there's something there, but I can't see it. I mean, I just I don't see a ton of viable candidates out there. David Pasternak's had a great year, sure, um, sure, but he also plays, you know, on on our, you know, he's got the same things against him that that Leon has had against his career for so long. Is is so long the, you know, the thought on dry was yeah. Well, he puts up great numbers, but he puts them up with Connor McDavid, the world's best player. So now sure. what the narrative is going to be, I'd like to know, because in the last two and a half months, and even in some experimental phases before that, you know, Drysaddle spent a big chunk of the year apart from McDavid. And, um, you know, where, where Pasternak obviously plays the bulk of his time with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand, who are excellent players and Again, I don't penalize a guy for playing on a great line. I just don't see numbers, Edmonton's improvement. If you're talking most valuable player, I don't see what other guy is in the conversation. I mean, Nate McKinnon has Colorado in about the same spot they were last year. So I just don't see a whole lot of argument there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we both couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, other than uh, the hiccup in December where, you know, not, not only him, but the whole team were struggling, like it's just ha- who, who has seen hockey that, that good and that dominant, you know, in it's, he's what the first player to have like 25 points in October this century. Well, um, and also, I mean, if you look at it closely, you know, his goal scoring product. And as of late, I think he was a real threat to Pasternak and Ovechkin. I mean, I, I don't concede even the R- Rocket Richard trophy. Mm, uh, mm. You know, people want to people wanna compare the numbers and Wood Dreisaitl got 125-130. I mean, I think those were slam dunks. Mm, mm. I think the yeah. real question was whether or not Dreisaitl could have theoretically reeled in Ovechkin and Pasternak. Because Edmonton... You know, had a, you know, they had Tampa, they had Washington, they had Philly, but they had some favorable games down the stretch too, where you could see things getting out of hand. And mm, for uh, sure, you know, Drysdale's the kind of guy, as you saw in January and February, uh, when he gets rolling, he can score seven or eight goals in five games. Yeah. So, you know, I I think Drysdale had a chance to really sweep everything offensively mm. especially with the the power play being what it was like i don't see how 
I think, what is it, the best power play since also in like 40 years or some such? Yeah. Like, like it's Absolutely. pretty, it's pretty historic. Like, you're just watching it even just as a fan. I think uh, day, day in, day out. 79 is what the, what territory we're talking about here. Yeah, but they also own, they, they they weren't even tracking the stats up until a few years before that or something as well, right? Right. Um, but uh, oh, yeah. like just I mean, when you when you all 50s when you could score, you know, two or three in one two minute minor. I mean, that's what that's what led to the penalty minutes as they're called now. I mean, Montreal right. changed the whole the whole situation. But mm. I totally get your point. Yeah, it's like the power play was just so good. He, he yeah, he definitely could have caught up to Ovechkin for the for the Rocket Richard. I mean, why don't we say? I mean, I don't want to say you know Maoist style re-education camps, but I just think I just think the writers that vote for, even if they vote for McKinnon, which is you know probably a legitimate vote, I think I think they need to just be watching some video. Maybe we play the completed discography of Kraftwerk in the background, like Clockwork Orange style. I'm not sure, but it's got it's got to stop because Drysaddle is better than. <laughs> That's that's one of the reoccurring themes on the podcast is the question, is Leon Dreisaitl better than everyone in the world? Everyone! I think at this point it's him and McDavid are one and number one and number two, and no one else is close. But I, I might be biased. Well, I, I will stop short of that. I, I still think, you know, you've got a situation where Leon Dreisaitl's the unquestioned MVP, but I don't think you could say he's the best player in the world. It's like there's the top the top cluster is McDavid and Drysaddle. Whoever you think is the best between them, I'd probably give the edge to McDavid. Obviously, right now, but with with his emergence this season and why I think he's definitely the lock for MVP or should be, is is now and now there's a question of of him challenging for that kind of you know, well. And, and upper what tier. I'm saying is my cluster is a little bit bigger than yours. I, right, right. I'm not willing to put you know Drysaddle. Uh, ahead of you know McCannon or Crosby right now I think mm. I think that's the four we're really looking at interesting okay that's uh, legit I, I think McDavid's the best player in the world I think he has an edge on the other three I mentioned mm. I think you know of the next three you'd have to say you know McCannon upward arrow Dry subtle upward arrow and Crosby kind of in a neutral position. I'm I'm curious to see, you know, what happens with his game coming out of this pause. Because I do think he had reestablished himself as one of the top two players in the world over the last three seasons. Mm. There are some whispers, remember as recently as, you know, 15, 16, that his best days were behind him. And uh, I still think, He's got the respect of his peers as a leader and as a two-way guy that perhaps McDavid has yet to achieve uh, in terms of just, you know, across-the-board recognition. Um, But I still think McDavid's the best player in the world. I think that's been acknowledged in a player poll. Mm. Oh, yeah. But I also think, you know, with Crosby – completely you know above and beyond anyone else in in the number two hole my default setting is always players know mm. and so i'm still willing to put crosby you know firmly inside that top four pantheon if you want mm. but dry settle deserves to be there too yeah i mean i think no question. My, my theory is you know if he as he continues at this current level which i think he will or have a strong 
hunch that he will. I think I think more and more he's going to be pushing himself into those discussions. And I agree with that. Wanted to ask you just um, bird's eye view, like from my perspective, and I actually think a lot of the reason I think I think the, the seed of me starting this podcast was when Holland was hired as GM, because I've always always had a lot of respect for him for him, and I was always really curious to see. I became curious where he was going to be taking the team, what direction, and it really. To my eye, really feels like he's calmed the whole group down, along with Tippett as well. Even even just the hiring of Tippett, and as those pieces kind of fell into place, like is it is it true from your perspective that that the entire team has has really just calmed down and kind of taken a deep breath and relaxed a little bit under this new regime? Well, it's the age-old question: What has come first? You know, the leadership and structure provided both by those guys, or the confidence? that came with the 5-0 and start. I mean, I mm. hard for me to say, you know, had the team stumbled out of the gates at 1-4, and four, you know, would they have felt the same way? I, I can tell you this, is that I believe the players do have a great deal of confidence in what Tippett has given them structure-wise. And as a result, I mean, by and large, and I think the others had 26 losses in regulation at the pause, but they weren't getting blown out. You know, they were in every game. They were blown a ton of people out. But the calming influence I think you're talking about is the Oilers were regularly in games and could have success in games where their overall team game might have been closer to a C or a C plus. Mm. Whereas in prior years, that kind of effort would have led almost certainly to a multi-goal deficit and defeat. Yeah. And so what I think Tippett brought was the kind of structure and confidence in that structure to keep the club in games and then get pushed over the top by the number one ranked power play and then a number two ranked penalty kill. Because... When you're in a 3-2 league and your special teams are up around 110, 115% combined, you're going to win the balance of those games. That's what's going to decide it. Combine that with a goaltending, and this is where I'll give Ken Holland some credit. He, for the first time, established some depth at every position. Mm. Koskinen and Smith, while not clear number ones by themselves became a number one in tandem. Mm, absolutely. Because they gave yeah. Tippett enough quality games where he could go with one for two or three in a row and then back to the other one. And I can't remember I can't re- I can't remember another goalie tandem that the Oilers have had in the last decade that was as as successful as a tandem. Yeah, not not equa not where not with the minutes of quality and the starts mm. of quality of this one. No qu- yeah. no doubt about yeah. it. And yeah. I think that's right. why I think only once in the 71 games did the Oilers go three games without a point. And everyone talks in the NHL about having to win, you know, four or five or six in a row, two or three times the season to get into the playoffs and contend for division title. Well, it's equally important not to backslide and mm-hmm. not to go on significant losing streaks. Especially in Todd McClellan's last year where the team did get off to a good start. They were unable 
to dig themselves out of three and four and five game losing streaks. They, they just weren't able to snap it. They weren't able to steal a point. They weren't able mm. to, you know, get a win in a game where maybe they didn't deserve it. Oh, we and remember. That's what goaltending and special teams will do for you is when your five-on-five five game isn't there, and trust me, it wasn't for Edmonton on a number of nights this season. Mm. But unlike the last couple of years, they had the goaltending and the special teams to bail them out. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the, the special teams were a huge, uh, a huge story this year as well. Like again, kind of a historic, historic number when you when you combine them together. I mean, you really, you got to figure, you know, Tippett gets the lion's share of the credit for that. I mean, I don't think he's going to get the Jack Adams, but he certainly deserves some votes just based just based on the special teams alone. Really. Well, and and uh, you know, I do think that's a product of again some changes in the staff. That I think, quite frankly, helped. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Jimmy Playfair, NHL coaching experience, a comfort sure. level with Tippett for years, <clears throat> and a guy that revived the penalty kill, which had really fallen off. Power play. Glenn Goldson listened to his players and didn't make it about his power play or his structure or what he wanted to do on the power play. He basically turned it loose to the players. Hmm. And as he's talked about, when you don't necessarily have set plays on every power play, but you have the talent out there, you become that much more difficult to defend. Right. There's nothing to rely on in terms of game tape to get you ready for Edmonton's power play because you're bound to see four or five or six different looks. Hmm. And this is where, again going into this, you know, truncated best of five series, it makes Edmonton tough to prepare for. And this is where Ken Holland, who before the season restocked the Oilers in the bottom six with guys like Riley Shane and Josh Archibald. Then he, I don't want to say got lucky, but certainly the emergence of Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones had to be somewhat of a surprise, particularly Bears' constant presence as a top four D man the entire mm. season, yeah. and a guy you could rely on that didn't look exposed. Now at the deadline, he jumps into the fight with his team, brings in Athanasiu Ennis and Mike Green, and now you've got the Oilers with a very real possibility that in a playoff series with two guys 800 games plus on the back end that might not crack the lineup every night in Mike Green and Chris Russell. Yeah. That's depth. I mean, that's that's significant depth. And up front, I don't think there's any guarantee that James Neal, Alex Chason, you know, two veteran forwards, playoff tested, you know, Stanley Cup finals, they've been in the last three. You know, excuse me, they, they've been in with, with Vegas, Nashville, and Washington. They've been, you know, in three of the last four years, the finals teams. You're talking about two veteran guys who may not be in the lineup every night themselves. I mean, there's some real depth on this team, and that for so many years was the issue. Oh, it's incredible. And, yeah. McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and you got nothing to worry about. 
And only in one year of it's only one year's work. Like when you look at all the the signings um, and with no and cap room. I know, I know. It's it's really it crazy. No cap room. Yeah, <clears throat> it's and that's, it's really that's impressive what work. makes Bear and Jones so important on the back end. Mm, because absolutely. without their development, I still think the Oilers would have had some gaping holes defensively, particularly in a depth situation. Yeah. Well, it's really hard to say what the what the season would have been without the emergence of Bear in training camp. I wanted to ask you actually about about cap space. I was thinking about this last night. So, I mean, I think you know the obviously the salary cap is going to be frozen for a few years here. I think we all have accepted that. Um, but at the same time, you know they're going to have to let teams do at least one compliance buyout. And if they do, I'm thinking maybe this time they'll allow teams to re-sign players that they've bought out, whereas the last time they had compliance buyouts, they had to play for play for another team for a year. I'm wondering if we see something like a James Neal buyout plus, you know, say we re-sign him two years for $3 million or something. Well, I mean, that's hard for me to speculate on. I mean, that's, yeah, of course. that's kind of an if-if scenario. I suppose um, so. But I, you know, I, I think what you're talking about is – you know, the greater picture is that Ken Holland, without a lot of room to maneuver, and granted, he needed a couple of breaks from prospects already in the system. But he's done a nice job of, you know, retooling. He's brought in, <clears throat> in terms of the players he brought in at the deadline, he's brought in some guys that have the versatility requisite of, of this particular lineup. In other words... You know, Tyler Ennis has played enough games in the NHL where he can slide into top-line duty and not be exposed if he's playing with McDavid and Cassian. But if he doesn't have it going one night and Andreas Athanasiu has a spring in his step, you've got an Ennis who also knows how to play in the bottom six. And you've got Athanasiu, a guy that at times has been a game-breaker. I mean... You know, his his confidence and production have wavered in the last year and a half. But it's not too long ago that, you know, he's a 30-goal scorer in the National Hockey League. I mean, within the last year and a half. So, you know, I, I think those are two weapons up front that with the Oilers' winger situation, where it's so often a game-by-game, field-by-field process – I like the fact he added those two guys in particular. You've even got depth down the middle because I believe Gaetan Haas gives you a lot more five-on-five five than Jujar Kara. But Kara, you know, plays the second most minutes on the league's second-ranked penalty kill. So you've got enough there in the four-hole at center to, you know, maybe even have both in the lineup on certain nights where Kara will shift over to the left side and, and Haas can play the middle and give you a little bit more chump five on five than Kara does. I'm and a big fan of Haas. End, yeah. Haas is great. Yeah, no, I I think Haas, I, I mean, they re-signed him, so they obviously like him. Yeah. And I think on the back end, again, the versatility of, you know, having some guys who could shuttle in and out of lineup in, in that third pairing. You could go with a Russell and Benning. You could go with a Jones and Green if you want pure puck moving, or you could try an amalgamation. And uh, I think in, in the Chicago series, they also have the luxury of two guys 
who play mean and thus can make life, dif- life difficult for Patrick Kane every shift. They've got, you know, Nurse in the top pairing, and they've got Larson in the second pairing. And I think those two guys in a short series are key to making sure Patrick Kane doesn't get loose, doesn't get hot, and doesn't by himself uh, have enough of an impact in this series to push Chicago over the top. Because he is the one guy, like McDavid and Dreisaitl, that if he gets hot, it's over. Absolutely. Um, speaking of Larson, I wanted to ask you, like, is don't you think Larson is probably one of the most unfairly underappreciated and maligned defensemen? Like, I personally am extremely happy to have him going into this play-in round. Well, again, a, a guy who can make life difficult for Patrick Kane. Yeah, exactly. I think Larson is, you know, the victim of being a top-five pick. As really, in his best role, just a stay-at-home, nasty defenseman. A guy in the mold of, say, Kevin Lowe from 30 years ago. Uh, Not a guy who's going to put up a ton of points, but a guy, when he's playing his best, he is playing with the kind of acidity that bothers a skilled forward like Patrick Kane. A guy that can really... You know, he's a veteran player. He knows the game. He knows gamesmanship. He knows how to avoid getting sent to the box with the kind of little chops and 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 physicality that's going to make life uncomfortable for Patrick Kane. That's when he's at his best. When he doesn't have to be extended into a 25-plus minutes role. And, of course... When you're drafted in the top five, you're thinking as a D-man, when you're a NHL general manager, this is a guy I envision playing 27 minutes a night and putting up 50 points a year. Well, that's not Larson's best game, and I don't think it's Darnell Nurse's best game either. I think Nurse would be wise in this series to, again, concentrate more on that defensive shutdown role and that... I can't stand playing against this guy role. Mm. When Darnell does that and doesn't get himself out of position, I think he's more effective than some of his bad dashes up the ice that is, that is, you know, translated to good production for him offensively. But I think his best game is, is actually the, the game in his own zone where he's always in position, always in guys' faces, and quite frankly, is one of the more intimidating defensemen in the league. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, Jack, I was just curious about how what your feelings are about uh, calling games that will have so much. Uh, there's just so much hype about the, the upcoming uh, playoff tournament. Um, I'm just calling a game in summertime. Like, it's going to be, I'm very much a student of Oilers magic, and I guess its counterpart in the city of Edmonton is the magic that occurs in this city of perpetual darkness when summer hits. So you're going to have these two things, Oilers magic and summer magic, kind of converging at the same time. And I was just curious about, like, what your thoughts are about what it's going to be like to kind of begin a broadcast saying something along the lines of it's a 
hot summer's night here in Edmonton, and we're getting ready for for the face-off. Well, everything's an altered reality, right? Right. I mean, there's a very good chance I'm going to be calling games off a monitor in a studio somewhere. That's yeah. So that's all. That's already. That's far and away going to be more strange than if I was in the building with fans in the building in July. I mean, I, you know, once you disappear inside Rogers Place and before that Rexall, mm-hmm. as you know, you're in a community unto your own. Like it could be any time of year, any time of day. You're lost in the atmosphere that is that building. Right. But I'm not going to have that in all likelihood. I don't. I don't foresee myself necessarily calling games even in an empty arena, you know, in a regular booth. Wow. I, I think it's a far greater likelihood that, you know, I'll be calling games, you know, like I said, off a monitor or a studio somewhere. And that's going to be an adjustment. I mean, absolutely. It's, I don't want to say it's a concern, but it's a challenge. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm an expert in doing it because I've never done it. So, you know, I'm going to have to come out of the gate strong because I want to make everyone feel as though they are there, even though I am not. Yeah. And that's a much greater (laughs) challenge than painting the picture and giving people a sense of atmosphere when you're at the event itself. Well, didn't they used to not even when it comes to describing how vacuous it seems, I'm still not going to be there. So in a very real sense, my words are less authentic than they'll ever be. So it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge not to play pretend, yet at the same time, you know, bring very close to the excitement I normally would on a broadcast because – the fans are going to be jacked. We are talking about playoff hockey involving the world's greatest athletes. Yeah. So your broadcast better match that level. Even though, you know, some of the circumstances are wildly different. And from my standpoint, hopefully a one-off. I mean, I, I don't ever want to have to do this again. Not just because of the global health crisis, but also because... When you get into this industry, and particularly when you like play-by-play, I think play-by-play guys, color guys, on-field or on-ice reporters, the reason they get into that side of the business instead of a sports center type of deal is because they like being at live events. They're not content with reporting on it from a studio. They want to be in the mix. And that's what's going to be toughest about this situation is for the first time in my life, I'm going to be calling a game and I'm not going to be in the mix. It's going to be kind of like uh, in the early days of uh, baseball broadcasting and they would run the report. Yeah. Recreation. Yeah. With with, uh, sound effects and everything. Yeah. No, it's, (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to be holding a thimble, I don't think, but you know, it is, it's, it's going to be different, and uh, you know I'm going to have to compensate, adjust, and and put out the best possible game presentation I I, I can. And it at at no point or 
and no uh, vision of how this is going to look, do I think it's going to be easy? Do you do you have any like? Do you know if you're going to be? Is it going to be you and Bob as as usual? I, like, I think so. I, I yeah. don't know anything. I mean, I, I don't yeah, think right. we're still in a situation where, you know, anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen, even Commissioner Gary Bettman, I mean, there's still, you know, there's still almost a month before training camp opens, and there's still a month and a half to maybe even two months before games are supposed to be played. So, you know, there's still, you know, we don't even have dates for that play in first round series. So this is a lot of step-by-step scenario. And trust me, as always, I'm, I'm close to, or at the bottom of the food chain. So, (laughs) you know, wondering where I'm going to be, who I'm going to be with, I don't think that's high on anyone's priority. Well, list. I mean, don't don't say that, Jack Michaels. I mean, there's Tom, there's Tom Gazzola below you, obviously. So <laughs> let's remember that. Yeah. <laughs> let's not get crazy. Um, I wanted to ask you, Jack, really quick, and I know like you're not you're not big into capology and all that stuff, but like, is it is it possible that we don't see like it's it's a, it's a lock we're going to see the Nuge locked up, right? It has to we we have to see him locked up, don't we? Isn't he the perfect Ken Holland player that that brings it on all all sides of the ice? Well, that and in all sides of the lineup. I mean, we've seen Ryan Nugent-Hopkins as a third-line center this year. We've seen him as a left wing. We've seen him as a right wing. You know, he can play anywhere. Uh, Right now, as presently constructed, the Oilers are playing him on the wing. I know Nugent Hopkins loves to play center, and that's still an option in game situations where you end up putting McDavid and Drysaddle together. Sure. What better fallback option as a number two center is there in the NHL than Ryan Nugent Hopkins? So it's the versatility, I think, that makes Nugent Hopkins such a wonderful fit on this roster, which is constantly changing. I mean, right now, You've got McDavid and, and Drysaddles, the real cornerstones up front. And the rest of the wingers, and even the center icemen, could play almost anywhere else. I mean, they, they really could. I mean, you know, James Neal, we've seen him on the first and the fourth lines in the same game. Same could be said for Zach Cassio. Uh, Athanasiu and Ennis have played on the first and the third lines, and they're extremely short tenure as Oilers. Mm. So you're seeing guys move up and down all over the place. Alex Chason, another guy who's played top line minutes. He's played fourth line minutes. You know, so you've got guys that outside of McDavid and dry settles 25 minutes a night, their minutes, their role, their fit within the flow of, Every game changes on a given night. And in terms of a stabilizer and a guy who's going to give you veteran professional minutes and outstanding minutes every night, you know, Nugent Hopkins as your third best forward, you could do a lot worse. Absolutely. Well, that's a long-winded way of saying, absolutely, I believe he's a priority for the Oilers to squeeze in moving forward. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, 
not long-winded at all. That's what we have. We have you here to, to pick your brain, so don't worry about being long-winded. Um, Trust me, I never and, have. <laughs> I said that as a degree of false modesty. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. I should have I should have known. I should have known. Um, <laughs> I, I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of questions for you. There's there's so many that I'm, I'm really hoping we can have you back another time. But I, I wanted to make sure I got this one in. Um, I was I gonna know... say, let's try to get one in. <laughs> You've been big on the preamble today, haven't you? <laughs> well, fucking preamble. Just tell me what's on your mind. Okay, okay, here we go. All right, cut to the chase. So you were calling high school uh, hockey games for four twenty-five an hour back in the day. I, uh, I am aware. I, I think talk that's about correct. a non sequitur. Wow. Um, <laughs> I wanted to know, like, what what could you buy for four dollars and twenty-five cents? It's such a it's such an interesting salary because, as uh, as the high priest of Oilers Magic was saying, it's like if it was if it was any lower, it would basically be like a like a slavery wage, pretty much. You like anything anything below five dollars for four twenty-five an hour. What? Have you ever heard, have you Canadians ever heard of a chain called Long John Silvers? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, I have a, a family member that's addicted to Long John Silvers. Long John <laughs> Silvers, value meals, baby. That's, that's, uh, wow. a lot of people, wow. Mickey D's guys. Wow. I was more of a Long John Silvers than an Arby's guy. Damn. Yeah, I'm the one answer. guy. I know Simpsons always poke fun at them. Ahoy, matey. How do you feel of tacos? Would you sooner eat a bilge rat than another burger? Then come for all you can eat <gasps> seafood at the Frying Dutchman. <laughs> Is it more iced tea you be needing? Okay. <laughs> I'm also an Arby's guy, so. That's so legit. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, hey, I was in a, you know, I was in a town which is just north of Pittsburgh. That's where I grew up, but. Believe it or not, I was able to I was able to stretch that into a decent, you know, one bedroom apartment close to downtown, <laughs> close to my work, and uh, you know, carve out a decent living because I was getting, I think, seventy five bucks a game for play by play back then. Right. So, you know, and of course, when you're making that little, you don't get taxed that much. So, mm. a lot of cash coming my way and. Don't feel too sorry for me, but yeah. Well, yeah. Now I'm creating fish and chips. That's 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 for sure. And and I, uh, you know, I'm very proud to have made it through those lean years because, trust me, at times it seemed like I was twenty thousand leagues under the big league. That's. (laughs) Well, yeah, you and you persisted and and have achieved tremendous things. I mean. Even just thinking about how many years now I've been listening to your commentary, it's. Uh, I even went back to look at some some old videos from you know the, the early teens, and uh, you know you're you're a legend now, my friend. So certainly was worth it. You you got there in the submarine, from twenty thousand leagues below the below the league. Yeah, Jack um, was uh, was working in Alaska calling games for the Aces. Was hockey in Alaska as intriguing as it sounds? Because when whenever I think like. It's something I've wondered since I was a kid is, uh, you know, you start thinking about places the NHL should expand and whether or not it's financially viable, which I'm sure it almost isn't like for sure. But there's the, the intrigue of hockey in Alaska. Like they, they made a movie about it. What was it like? What was the what was the environment of, of the only hockey game in town. Alaska like? Yeah. Was it? It's yeah. The only it was... game in town. It's the only professional sports team in the state. 
uh, you know, and unfortunately it, it bowed out of existence a couple of years ago. As it turned out, even in the minors, it wasn't financially viable. Yeah. But I was able to put together, you know, quite a situation for myself up there. You know, we had we had fans. We were winners. Davis Payne was the head coach up there who later went on to coach the St. Louis Blues and was an assistant on the L.A. team that won the 2014 Stanley Cup. Uh, when, the, when the club was winning... It was pretty easy to, you know, sell sponsorships. I was kind of in charge of that as well. And believe it or not, you know, it was classic minor league selling, you know, 80, 90 sponsorships at seven, eight grand a clip. It, it added up. Wow. And there was support for the team. And the sponsors themselves were going to the games. You know, it wasn't a corporate world or a corporate existence anchorage itself is cosmopolitan enough it's you know a town of about three hundred fifty thousand. good places to eat it's very similar to edmonton yeah people from anchorage and from alaska and who live there most of them are born and raised there right and if you want to complain about the weather or being isolated or this or that similar to edmonton They'll be like, hey, the airport's right over there. Don't let, hit the, uh, don't, hit, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. I mean, right. that's one thing I really like about living here is I'm not in a transient city like Calgary or Vegas where no one's really from there or Atlanta or Dallas. You know, Edmonton, like Anchorage, has an identity. And, you know, the... You know, they're, they're tough people. They're blue-collar people. They're hardworking people. I think that's what makes the atmosphere, you know, around the playoffs so similar. I mean, the two loudest buildings I've ever been in my life were game six of the second round against Anaheim in 2017 mm -hmm. and game seven of the ECHL Kelly Cup final in 2009, Alaska and South Carolina. Wow. There were 6,500 people in the building that night, capacity crowd, and you couldn't hear the introductions. That's you know, incredible. So I always say Edmonton is kind of like Anchorage on, on steroids. It's just, you know, four times as big. But the people are just as proud. They love their hockey. And it's a hell of a place to watch your kids grow up. My kids were born in Anchorage. They've grown up here. And I count myself lucky on both counts. Yeah, absolutely. For and sure. as you can tell, I'm no fan of Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, Vancouver and Seattle are the two most overrated. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm from Edmonton. I, I, oh, okay, I had, I, I'm a refugee. Yeah, the, the Cossacks came and drove my people out of the shtetl, so... I had no, to escape, escape to a safe port. I always port. say Vancouver's the most overrated city in North America. And I, I like Seattle, and I know it's close, but well, I just like the vibe of Seattle more than Vancouver. And plus, in fairness to Vancouver, I will say this. When we were there for the draft last summer, I saw I saw kind of the beauty and, and uh, kind of the spectacular – uh scenery that that vancouver's known for 
Yeah, too I mean, often yeah. when we're there, it's raining sideways. It's plus two out, and I swear to God, plus two in Vancouver with that damp chill. Yeah. I'd take minus 20 and sunny in Edmonton any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I had to adjust to that when I first moved here. It was very, it was very different. I mean, Vancouver is a very beautiful city. They're just lucky they built it beside some mountains in the ocean because the architecture. Like I'm, I'm gonna start a stand-up uh, comedy career just taking pictures of the architecture and then making fun of it because the buildings are some ugly ass shit. Let me tell you. The, the people, <laughs> I, the people I, I are okay too. Vancouver. I just. To be honest with you, when you live here, it's it's 10 years of living here. Everyone raving about Vancouver gets under your skin after a while. Well, what what Vancouverites don't understand is that is that they're still not like a big city the way they think they are. You know, like we're not well, we're not we're not they, a big deal. They're a they're a poor second sister to Seattle in my mind. Yeah. And to be honest with you, the most beautiful city in BC, in my opinion, is Victoria. That's a spectacular city. Victoria is quite nice, yeah. Yeah. And and the climate climate is a lot more mild there. You know they have they have those nice parliament buildings and rabbits running oh, around. Yeah. Victoria is fantastic. I'm I a think, huge fan. I think if my if my spec script for the the Vancouver version of Fraser ever gets off the ground, the whole everything's going to change. Though the whole landscape's going to change. People are going <laughs> to see Vancouver for what it is. Yeah. Um, listen, Jack, I don't know how much time you have. I don't want to. I don't want to monopolize it. I'm sure you're a busy man. I'd love to have you on again to ask you more questions. I did want to ask you if you're still doing, or if you were still doing hot yoga before uh, before COVID nineteen hit. Still doing hot yoga. Uh no, I I have uh, backed off of that. I got a uh, I got a couple of machines at my house and the 15 minute drive back and forth. Mm. I kind of had to bail on that. Uh, uh. But I made a lot of good friends, including um, one of uh, I, you know I I I'm not a country guy by any stretch of the imagination, but a guy who's made a lot of noise recently in the last five years on the canadian country music scene this guy by the name of brett kissel <laughs> yeah. have you okay. heard of this guy yeah of course we've so. heard of him he's everywhere he's everywhere yes he's a lot well he was on the sports net i know he took a lot of grief for for being on the uh, sports set game against nashville but uh <laughs> i met him when he was 19 um. and he uh he handed my demo right away he was he was a hustler back then, and I'm glad to see he's gotten a great deal of success. And one thing I never thought I'd ever do in my life, number one, attend the country music concert to begin with. Number two, to attend a drive-in country music concert. Well, I checked off that box on Saturday night. Uh, he played the six sold-out shows at Edmondson. It was a good time. Hmm. But that's, that's one of the... One of the good friends I made at Hot Yoga, anyways. To, Amazing. To wrap a bow around that maybe not so interesting story. <laughs> no, it, was, it was fine. It was fine. You're fitting right in with the tone of the podcast, Jack. I got to tell you, because we just we think of the David Letterman show when we're doing this, and and you're right. You're right there in with that tone. This is perfect. All right, good. Self self depreciation. I'm I'm you know? full chameleon right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm adapting to my environment. You are. Well done. Um, you, you, do you have any more questions you'd like to ask our illustrious guest, High Priest of Oilers Magic? Anything that you've uh, you've read in the bones or the stars? Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Nothing specific. I mean, we don't want to monopolize any more of your day, Jack. Oh, you stop it already. For God's sake, just ask a question. All right, all right. Okay, I'll okay, ask okay. a question. Well, no, I'll go, all right, oh, I'll okay, ask you, a question. You go, then I'll go. One more, one I'll more. I'll ask a question. You're this being just... so Canadian right now. <laughs> I don't want to offend. I don't want to blah, blah. Just ask your question. All right, all right, all right. Well, speaking of being so Canadian, uh, this is kind of outside the realm of of the of the sports world but were you as uh you grew up in pittsburgh right yeah just north of pittsburgh like i was watching sctv the other day and it seemed so much funnier to me than saturday night live at the same time ever was so i was just wondering like did sctv ever make it into your into your periphery at all uh sctv not really but hmm but wasn't uh, Kids in the Hall Canadian, too? Kids in the Hall oh, yeah. absolutely was, yeah. So Kids in the Hall made it into my periphery. So, uh, you know, so not so much SCTV. Number one, I was a little young. Right. Um, so, you know, when you asked me about early works of, you know, John Candy, I'm more likely to bring up, uh, you know, Splash than I am you know, anything you did on SCTV. Right. But kids yeah. in the hall were, they made a name for themselves. And, you know, I, I, I had a bead on some things Canadian, you know, yeah. we got a fuzzy station out of London, Ontario. Oh, wow. That was CBC's hockey night in Canada. And I was, I, that's what got me into hockey a little bit. This is before Lemieux had any kind of impact in Pittsburgh. Hmm. Before the Penguins, I mean, again, before Lemieux was drafted, you couldn't name a Penguin. I mean, they were just completely forgotten and on their way out of town. Yeah, that's right. And as you guys know, Mario has saved them not just as a player, but then again as an owner. Yeah. In the early yeah. 2000s. Yeah. I mean, they've been on a on their way out of town twice, and Mario saved them both times. But... Uh, my first exposure to hockey were just some dreadful Leafs teams. Bjorn Salming, Mike Palmatier, Rick Vive. Right. And this is the post, you know, this is post-79 when they, you know, went to the semis. This is, right. This is early 80s Leafs that at times would, you know, make the playoffs with like 54 points. You know, this is John Brophy's Leafs. Um <laughs> So, you know, I, I had some semblance, but, you know, what I really remember most was, you know, watching the first half of an ESPN doubleheader, and it was invariably, you know, in the playoffs, it was invariably Washington, Philly, Pittsburgh, Philly, you know, Rangers, Islanders, whatever it was. Yep, yep. And then lobbying my parents to stay up for the first period of game two, which inevitably was in Edmonton. Yeah. You know, now let's send it out to Northlands Coliseum for, you know, game two of the Smythe Division final, you know, Edmonton versus Calgary. And I just remember looking over, you know, oftentimes, you know, mid-April, so oftentimes iced over Northlands Coliseum and thinking, you know, where is this game being played? Like, <laughs> When you grew up in the Northeast U.S., you know, anything west of Cleveland might as well be on Neptune. Right. So, 
you know, I just remember thinking, where, where is this place? And I love the <laughs> hockey, but I was always fascinated by how far out of the way Edmonton seemed to be. That's so funny. And how I could, how I could never envision, you know, what people who live there were like. And now, 30 years later, I've been living here 10 years. It's just weird how, you know, the the, the turns that life takes you. No kidding. That's funny. I had a friend uh, from Texas who had the game Blades of Steel, the Nintendo game growing up. Oh, yeah. That was, that's it, still the best opening music of all time. Oh, yeah. Play the open to Blades of Steel and tell <laughs> me you're not pumped up. <laughs> you're right. And he would, there was, there was like seven teams that you could pick from. And for whatever reason, because they were stinky at that time, Edmonton was one of them. And he told me, his reaction was the same to your reaction. Him and his friends would always pick Edmonton because they were just like, what, like what, what and where is this place? Like there was no frame of reference really beyond the Oilers at the time who weren't even like, it was, it was kind of. It was it was over. We were entering the lean years at that point. So yeah, it's it's funny that you've come full circle and now you're you're part of the the mystery of Edmonton. You're here. Well, I'll tell you another funny story. Is you know I went to college and happened to coincide with the advent of the greatest game of all time in any video system ever was Sega Genesis NHL 94. Yeah, unquestionably. And, uh, what I don't tell people that often is I used to grab Kevin, you know, I used to, of course, be playing the Penguins, and I would just have Kevin Stevens chase Gretzky around the ice the whole time waiting for the blood to flow. <laughs> And you know the fact that 25 years later, I now I now could you know have a friendship with Wayne and, and see him on a semi-regular basis. It's pretty funny because I was that guy. And what's funny? What's even funnier about it is a few years after. I was done college. A movie came out, Swingers, that actually uh, has a scene oh, where yes. the guy's yeah. doing the same thing. Of course. Except he's, uh, he's playing Jeremy Roenick. That's right. I was always yeah. Kevin Stevens. That was my favorite penguin. And I would chase Gretzky <laughs> all around the ice. <laughs> That's amazing. He I was with that. the Kings by then, so I don't feel as bad. <laughs> no. Um. Speaking of the great one, um, and I, I don't want to drag you down to our level, Jack, but we've been playing a game on Twitter where we, we cast our dream actor to play a certain oiler in like an epic Oilers TV show. Um, and I had High Priest of Oilers Magic. What did you think of this? Did you see this when I posted this late last night? Yeah, David Bowie as Wayne David Gretzky. David Bowie as Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, yeah I, think, I, think, I think it's a perfect casting because you need a legend to play a legend. You know, it's any actor living or dead. I'm still missing David quite a bit. What do you, what do you, you think? You know, I, I will say this. The one guy I could see 
And this is before, like, the action movies. When he first is in there, I think it's because maybe the hair color matches. Well, my my first thought on that would be Matt Damon. Oh, interesting. slimmer version. Not the Mm. pumped-up Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Good Will Hunting or or, uh, Rainmaker Matt Damon. Yes, Rainmaker. More more so even than Good Will Hunting. Right, right. Um, Interesting. You know what? Another... uh, Or uh, Talented Mr. Ripley Matt Damon. Oh, totally. Well, because he he kind of had the the quiet vulnerability in that part, you know? Well, he's got... You know, the combination... I think Wayne... Is kind of the blend there, a little bit of a little bit Jude Law, a little bit Matt, Matt Damon. Mm. Um, I'd have to give that some more thought, though. That's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, well, Wayne, I went, like yeah. Wayne, like so many of us in the '80s, went through a lot of different hairstyles. So you could, true. You know, <laughs> at one point, I think you know, in in his prime, Billy Idol might have been a good. Oh wow! Uh, wow, yeah, that's a good one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I also have to say there was one there was one key Oilers figure missing from uh, from this game over the weekend. And that was uh, one Jack Michaels. I wanted to give you a chance to chime in on, on who you think should play you in, in the epic Oilers film. Well, first of all, there are people out there, especially in this market, that have thrown out John Lovitz. And I could not be more no. insulted. No way, no I way. Yeah, no I don't, see it. I don't see it at all. No, that's that's insulting. I mean, yeah. look, I'm not trying to say I'm John Hamm or George Clooney. I was gonna put I was gonna I put Jason like Bateman out there. My looks are a significant degree above John Lovitz. I really do. Oh, for sure. So no, the, man, the, the man's a goblin. The man's a goblin. Let's just be I, honest. I'm not happy with any sort of John Lovitz characterization. Let me get um, that out there first and foremost. I, I was gonna put. Yeah. At the risk of actually swelling the amount of people who would make that comparison. <laughs> um, who would I like to play me? Jason Bateman? How about Jason Bateman? Uh, a little too smirky. I was thinking Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix. Uh, Joaquin oh, Phoenix. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. Because I had, I actually had Joaquin Phoenix uh, penciled in. Um, oh, did you already have as, him assigned? No, he was. Uh, what is it? Manny Viveros? <laughs> no, wait. Who was the guy that was our assistant coach? No, Rocky Thompson. Rocky yeah. Thompson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, first of all, you got to get someone more shredded for mm. that role. I mean, Rocky Thompson might be in the best shape of any player or coach at any level today in any mm. sport. So you gotta get you gotta get a guy who's absolutely shredded. Think of uh, think of Christian Bale in American Psycho. Right, right, that right. That would be a lot better for Rocky Thompson. Because mm, mm. you, you gotta get a guy who's just jacked beyond belief. Right. Well, there are all, all obviously all the actors are gonna have to undergo rigorous training. One of one of the fun things about this game is we just cast the actor not based on you know. Who who is too hey, famous I'm just to play? To help you, out. <laughs> you are you are helpful. You know, you're what being you, stubborn right now. This I'm, is I'm, well, you if know. If you're gonna make it in the faux movies, <laughs> you've got to be responsive <laughs> to faux criticism. That's true. That's true. Well, let me let me try and redeem myself. What do you think of this one? Okay, Nail Yakupov, James Franco. That's probably that's that's solid. I like that. Is that, that one good? Passing, yeah, I, I like that. that. That's a good. 
No, I won't. I don't want us to That's get too drawn in here because there's about 80 of these, you know. Yeah, we we're got, not going we got, through all 80. <laughs> we got At Corey the risk Potter. Of being labeled a diva, I'm not willing <laughs> to do that. I'll just cap it off with. Um, I think Ben Affleck would be the perfect Corey Potter, but I'll just we'll just leave it there. <laughs> Boy, you're going. Um, <laughs> talk about uh, famous to the obscure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I like Corey, but come on. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's, 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 it's a fun game. Um, so I heard, I heard actually just a tidbit of a story, um, that, uh, I want to, I want to hear the full story now, uh, if possible. And apparently you were on a little league team in your youth that quote unquote underachieved in the regular season and then went on to win it all. Like why, why were they underachieving and and how did they turn it around to win it all? That's what I want to know. Well, that's an interesting, uh, Thought I don't I don't remember much other than we were only four and five in the regular season. So I also remember that at that time of my life I played little league baseball with all you got was a t-shirt and it was actually the Expos. <laughs> uh, oh, I was wow. trying to ingratiate myself to Canadian fans, but it was actually the Expos. You wore the Expos t-shirt. And then I wore jeans and a University of Maryland visor. Oh, man, that, that is was cool. my, uh, That was my – that was a visor. That was my baseball outfit. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and, yeah, we went four and five and then caught fire in the postseason and won all four postseason games, including the title game. One of my future best friends, I remember sobbing in the postgame – handshake line which i've never let him forget and uh <laughs> no that absolutely i've never let him forget that and then um to the point where when a league of their own came out and we were both in college i made a point of phoning him because we didn't have text back then but i made a point of phoning him at uh, his oh my college. god and leaving uh, a message on his answering machine, there's no crying in baseball. Yeah, you're right. I was, the, I was yeah. the worst kind of winner ever. Um, but uh, that was, no. I'll, I'll uh, date myself here, but that was the same summer Rocky Three came out. And I remember our coach constantly telling us, I have the tiger, man, I have the tiger. So that, oh, that who knows, maybe that, maybe that pushed us over the top, but that... That is uh, that is absolutely a 100% true story. What an unbelievable summer, winning it all in Little League and Rocky Three. Rocky Three coming out. I remember, I still remember when my dad took me to that movie. Uh, line wrapped around the corner in my uh, small little downtown there. Wow, that's oh, awesome. Yeah. That's a good, that was a great Rocky. That was a great Rocky. I think that's that was. The, I, I think Rocky Three has it all. I mean, yeah, I think it. so too. You got Thunderlips, you got Clubber Lang, uh, you got the manager dying. I mean, yeah, yeah, the stakes, the stakes are really high with the manager dying. The, like, the, yeah, yeah. The only horrific thing about it is it might as have the worst scene in all the Rockies when uh, Rocky and uh, Adrian are singing that little ditty together in their bedroom. Mind if I say an angel? Oh that my is, gosh. That is a scene that to this day. Do, 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 do. Aren't Rocky gonna wake the baby? Aging. Oh, let's do a duet. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 oh, do. 
inevitably produces a trace of vomit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, remember the doo 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 doo. I mean, it is yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. Just stop. Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! Oh God. Please, please, no. please no. We all yeah, remember it. You're squirming right now, aren't you? Just think about it. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's bad. Like the wrong, the wrong kind of singing in a movie. Um, I mean, sometimes it's meant to be uncomfortable. Like I think the most uncomfortable scene in the entire Soprano series is when they do they do karaoke and Carmela does this rendition of "Love Hurts." Love hurts. Love scars. Where they and she, you only hear it for ten seconds, but even just now thinking about it, I want to go hide under my bed. It's just like, <laughs> oh, let's see here. Wow. All right, have we reached the end of our? Uh, I, I mean, think we I have. feel like we're sputtering a bit here. So I, mean, I think we, we have. We're, yeah, we're, 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 we're just over an hour, so we, like have, a nice, Costanza, we have a nice. George I juicy. think we should quit on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it for me. You got everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I have I have more questions about George Costanza for next time, actually. So that's I'm glad you reminded me. Um, honestly, though, it's been it's been super fun. I'm, I'm... Did you guys hang up? No, no, no. no we're still here. <laughs> yeah, that was just Skynet. Just uh, maybe maybe Skynet heard us say, oh, maybe we should wrap it up. And Skynet just decided to um, unilaterally end the podcast there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we got we got over an hour. It's uh, I think everyone's going to enjoy it. I I personally heard a lot of things that I thought were quite interesting and new. So yeah, yeah. every little bit helps right now because we got what like July 10th is when training camps open. That's that's like two weeks after I die of boredom and pain and sorrow. Like we really have to extend the distraction as much as possible until then. And this well, has been a good one. Hopefully I uh, hopefully I gave you enough content for at least one show. You did absolutely, Jack. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot for. Uh, taking some of your time in the morning here to to chat with us and yeah. uh have a have a great day a great week maybe we'll we can do another one at some point maybe if you're interested in it but uh thanks for doing this one it means um, otherwise, other, otherwise i'm sure we'll, we'll be hearing from your attorney so if we don't if we don't <laughs> if we don't hear from if there's no pending litigation i think there's a chance we could do this again sometime Perfect. You know, a lot of a lot of our previous guests, you know, have restraining orders and whatnot. So, so the the fact the fact you took the call at all is just is just dynamite. Um, but yeah, you're you know, uh, we're huge fans. Really appreciate the, all the hard work and uh, and uh, yeah, just enjoy the rest of your morning. Really, really grateful to talk to you today. All right, bud. Thanks. Thanks, Jack. Have a good one. Yeah. Take care, talk guys. Soon. Have a good week.